podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Monday, the 10th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield are a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com, use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout, you have your choice of both hardware and software packages. But check out libertyshield.com today. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out both the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the code EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, we begin with bad news. Enoch Mwepu, the Brighton midfielder, has been forced to retire after the discovery of a hereditary heart condition. So Mwepu went on international duty during the break and was unable to train and spent four days in hospital. And when he came back to England, he had comprehensive tests. And the club have said that the only option, as as per the results, was for him to retire. That he would be at an extremely high risk of suffering a potentially fatal cardiac event if he continued playing. This is absolutely heartbreaking because... At 24, he's still such a young player. He had so much ahead of him in his career. He'd already done so well to get himself to the level that he was at. First, back in his homeland, earning a move to Orbe Salzburg, doing really well there, getting to Brighton, putting in last season some really, really impressive performances this season, he was a little bit in and out of the team, obviously, because they were playing the two of McAllister and Caicedo. But when called upon, I was really impressed. I thought he was excellent against Leicester. And unfortunately, this has come up and, and now he has to retire. He has come out and said that he's not finished with football, that he will stay involved in the game in some way. And my hope is that he'll do his coaching badges at Brighton and perhaps start coaching in their academy. Um, could become some sort of liaison for Brighton to scout African football if he wants either. Really intelligent player. And I'm sure he'll make a good coach or front office staff or whatever he wants to do. I think Brighton will give him the opportunity to do. Brighton's head of medicine and performance, Adam Brett, says it is a terrible blow for Enoch, but he has to put his health and his family first, and this is the right choice, however difficult it is to quit the game he loves. Given this is his career and a decision that cannot be taken lightly, we have taken our time to be as thorough as possible, completed advanced cardiac investigations, and collaborated with clinical experts to gain the best second opinions for him. We will be helping him make sure the condition is managed, with the appropriate treatment for him to otherwise live a long and healthy life. I mean, this is the right decision. You know, I mean, nobody wants another Mark Vivian Foway. Nobody wants another um, Fabrice Muamba situation or a Christian Eriksen situation. Nobody wants these things to happen again. 
and this is the right decision. It's just very, very hard to see such a promising young player who had so much of his career ahead of him have to retire like this. And now, moving forward, Brighton will obviously have to make adjustments to deal with not having him. So it hits the club hard as well from a footballing point of view as well as the human level because they're losing a very, very good player. Now, they'll be insured and all that, so there won't be any phys- any financial loss to them and his contract will be insured as well. So, you know, he'll get paid what is due to him, but obviously he's going to lose out on huge earning potential because, let's be fair, when he moved from Salzburg to Brighton, the idea was he'll be there two or three years and then he'll be looking to move on to a bigger, you know, bigger club with bigger wages. And uh, unfortunately, that has been that has been taken away from him. Um, such a shame. Such a shame. Anyway, we will go through the weekend's Premier League fixtures. Uh, we'll start with Newcastle 5, Brentford 1. If you want to see a prime example of self-sabotage, just go and watch this game. This was magnificent from Brentford, how they managed to just shoot themselves in both feet and then in the head. Bizarre. Um, Brentford actually opened the scoring through Brian and Buomo, but that goal was ruled out because Ivan Tony was a judge to have been offside, even though he didn't touch the ball. He was a judge to have interfered with the play. And Newcastle went one up through Bruno Gomerich on 21 minutes. It's a great cross from Trippier. It's a really good header from Gomerich. Goalkeeper has no chance, really. On 28, the sabotage begins. Um, I hate when I see this happen. David Rea trying to play out from the back. Just gifts the ball to Callum Wilson. Absolutely gifts it to him. I don't know who he was trying to find with his pass but gifts it to Wilson. Wilson draws keeper and defenders, slips it to his side, and Jacob Murphy taps home to make it 2-0 to the tune. Uh, Brentford get back into it on 54 minutes. I think this is a I think this is a poor decision by the referee. Uh, corner, ball across, Dan Byrne jumps. Obviously, when you jump, your arms go up in the air. Ball is headed back across by the Brentford player. It strikes Dan Byrne's hand. He has no awareness of where the ball is uh, or that it's going to hit his hand, but a penalty is given. I don't like that decision, uh, but it is what it is. Ivan Tony steps up. He might be the best penalty taker in the league and uh, sends Nick Pope the wrong way. Two minutes later, Brentford just... Open up in midfield. Just absolutely open up in midfield. And allow Gamerish to run 20 yards with the ball. And uh, he finishes really well from the edge of the box. Puts it in the bottom corner. Keeper has no chance, really. But Brentford decided that losing 3-1 just wasn't enough. It's just not what they came for. They wanted something more comprehensive. So on 82 minutes, Ethan Pinnock plays one of the most brainless passes I've ever seen. And Miguel Almiron scores to make it 5-1. And then on 90 minutes, it's a fairly tame, easy-to-deal-with cross into the area. David Rea is coming to collect it. And for some reason, Ethan Pinnock decides that the first error he made wasn't enough and sticks his big old foot out and diverts it into his own goal. And it is 5-1 to the tune. Now, Newcastle were undoubtedly the better team here and undoubtedly deserved to win. But 5-1 was not a real reflection of the game that took place. And um, Brentford basically gave them three goals. Just, here you go. You have those. Best of luck. Maybe trying to curry favour with the Saudis. I don't know. Um, yeah, not a good day for Brentford, but a good day for the Toon. And the Toon are up to sixth in the Premier League now. Back-to-back wins for the first time this season. 14 points. 
Uh, Brentford are 11th. They have no wins in their last three. They have 10 points. And that game means they now have a negative goal differential for the season. Moving on then to Bournemouth 2, Leicester City 1. And how Brendan Rodgers is still in a job at quarter past one the Monday after. I'm not really sure. Uh, Pats and Daka put Leicester one up on 10 minutes. It's a bit of pinball in the Bournemouth area. Daka does really well to swivel and finish into the bottom corner. Leicester were, I think, comfortably the better team for probably the first half hour. Bournemouth then had a couple of decent chances. But in the second half, Bournemouth with a better team. Uh, they equalised on 68 minutes. Woodface needs to do better. Ball is thrown to him under pressure, which is a little bit of a concern. Uh, Decision-making from from Leicester, not very good. Uh, Solanke outsprints him, goes round him, works his way into the box, gets a shot away, it's blocked. It bounces in front of Philip Billing and he... Puts his foot through it, puts his laces through it. And Danny Ward can't really do anything about it. Three minutes later, Danny Ward needs to do a lot better. Uh, again, Billing is involved. It's his cross into the box. Again, Solanke involved. His header down. And Ryan Christie gets on the end of it. I don't know what Danny Ward was trying to do. Um, He comes out and does like a star jump in front of him. And Christie just sort of taps it under his legs, and into the back of the net. Uh, a deserved win, I thought, on the balance of play, a deserved win for Bournemouth and Leicester. I mean, they thought their season was up and running after that game against Forrest. Uh, it was not. And if Forrest get any kind of result tonight, Leicester will be back to bottom of the table uh, Bournemouth are eighth. They're eighth. And Gary O'Neill has done an incredible job, frankly, to take nine points from his five games in charge is really, really impressive. What's more impressive is what he's done it off the back of, which was Bournemouth getting pumped by Liverpool 9 0. To turn that around that quickly with the same group of players that Scott Parker said weren't good enough for the Premier League, I think it's an absolutely outstanding performance by Gary O'Neill. And I know that there's a takeover sort of taking place at Bournemouth as Maxim Denham looks to sell. But I think that guy needs to be given the job on a permanent basis, at least until the end of the season, and then reassess. But the way he has them playing, the confidence he's built in that group, the belief he has instilled in them, and the fact that he's taken nine points from five games and has them ahead of Liverpool, who pumped them 9-0. Now, Liverpool do have a game in hand, but like it's away to Chelsea, so Bournemouth are ahead of Liverpool. Um, the fact that he's been able to do this is really impressive. They're the highest of the three newly promoted teams right now. Now, it is only nine games, and I would still make them one of the favourites to go down, but I think Gary O'Neill might give you your best chance of staying up because while he has them in this form, well, they can collect the points that they might miss out on in the second half of the season. And if you change things now, you risk disruption. So if it was me, I'd probably be giving them the job. And I'd probably be sacking Brendan Rodgers if I was the one making the decisions at Leicester. Because that is an absolute shambles for them to be where they are. Um, now, I will say I think all three of the bottom three are good teams. I think there's differing reasons for them all to be where they are. And we'll talk about that in a while. But I think Bournemouth have done exceptionally well and Gary O'Neill needs to get that job. Uh, moving on. Manchester City 4, Southampton 0. Uh, Erling Haaland only scoring once. Is Erling Haaland washed? More after this commercial break. No. Um, City just... 
this wasn't a contest. <laughs> this was an execution. Uh, Zhao Kinsale scored after 20. Phil Foden scored after 32. Haaland hit the post in between those. Uh, Riyad Mahrez doing what Riyad Mahrez does and scoring the third goal when his team are already comfortably in the lead. And then Haaland gets his goal on 65. Um, a really nicely worked goal, but you know, a typical City goal where De Bruyne plays it behind the defence. Player cuts round, pulls it back, striker finishes it. It, it. It's the same goal, basically, that Phil Foden scored against United last week. It is the City goal. Uh, City were dominant. City never looked like they were in any trouble. I did think, and I said this to Guy on Friday, I did think Bella Kotchup and Salisu did a pretty good job with Haaland because they have the pace and they're both quite physical. They're both very strong. Now, they don't have the height, but City don't play a whole bunch in the air. And Haaland's not, he's not great in the air for his height. I know he scored a header against United. But, you know, he wants ball to feet. They got tight up to him. They didn't allow him to turn. They snapped at his heels and they could cope with his pace in behind for the most part. Now, there was one or two occasions where they got caught, but there'll always be one or two occasions when you're playing against a team with that much talent on the pitch. Um, it remains to be seen what will happen with Ralph. Obviously, there's been a lot of rumours that he's on, potentially on the out and that if he lost the City, that could be it. I said before the weekend, it's the most stupid thing I've ever heard. Like, if losing to City costs you your job, you should have been sacked before the City game because clearly that's not the actual issue. City are second in the league. They are looking terrifying. They have the best attack in the league by a considerable margin. They've scored 10 goals more than anybody else. They have the joint best defensive record in the league. And they are the only team left in the league who are unbeaten. Um, they are going to win the league by a considerable margin. They just are. Southampton are 17th. Uh, they've lost four straight. They're one point ahead of Wolves, who are 18th. One point behind Villa, who are 16th. It's very, very tight at the bottom. There's only five points um, between Forest, who are bottom, and Leeds, who are 14th. In fact, a better way to look at it might be West Ham were bottom not that long ago, or second bottom maybe it was, and they're now 13th after just two wins. So, you know, it shows you how tight it is down there. I think they were second bottom. I think it was, I think I'm right in saying it was Leicester bottom, West Ham second bottom, and Forest third bottom. Leicester had one point and the other two had four. And then Forrest lost a couple and their goal difference got a bit of a hammering. And West Ham won their two and their goal difference improved. So I think I'm right in saying that that's what the, the case was. Um. Anyway, we'll move on to our next game, which was Wolves 3. Sorry, sorry, I wish. It was Chelsea 3, Wolves 0. Uh, got a bit carried away there. Uh, first half in this game, mostly Chelsea in the ascendancy, but Wolves did have... Uh, one decent chance through Pedence, but it was Jose Sa keeping Chelsea out and Chelsea showing some decent patterns of play. Matthias Nunes showing his quality at different stages in the game and showing why Jurgen Klopp should have bought him when he had the opportunity to. But that's an aside. Uh, I will say I think Sa makes a mistake on the first goal. Uh, three minutes into added time at the end of the first half, Ball from the right. I think Sa thinks Havertz is going to miss it. And it's going to drop to the attacker behind him for a shot. And I think he steps across to narrow the angle. But Havertz manages to get a looping header. And I think if Sa stays where he was initially, he catches the ball without much hassle. But it's a goal. It's 1-0. And Chelsea are good value for the lead. Uh, six minutes into the second half, Christian Pulisic makes it two. He'd been denied by a world-class save from San. The first half was playing well, and this is a really good left-footed dinked finish 
over the keeper from a narrow angle to make it two. And then Armando Brogia with his first goal for Chelsea cuts inside onto his right foot and finishes into the bottom corner. Keeper had no real chance with goals two and three and uh, Wolves desperately need to get their manager situation sorted out. They desperately need to get Nathan Collins back and thankfully they will have Ruben Neves back for their next game. Wolves, I think, will be fine. I, I genuinely don't see any scenario in which they go down. The lack of goals is a concern. Um, but we're we're a month from the World Cup break. Then we get the January transfer window, and they can look to bring someone in, probably on loan. Maybe someone like Armando Brogia would be available on loan. Get someone in who can score you some goals. And you're going to be good enough defensively. Your midfield is really good. And I think you'll be fine. Just get someone in who can score a few goals and you should be okay. And I think Guedes will step up in the next coming weeks. Um, Guy is telling me that Lyle Thomas of Sky Sports has reported that the Wolves chairman has travelled to meet Julian Lopetegui, formerly of Sevilla, Spain, Real Madrid and Porto, a very good manager. Um, about the job. He seems to have been their favourite from early doors. It remains to be seen whether he's willing to jump back in to another job straight away. Uh, I always feel like when you get sacked, you should probably should take some time away. I just don't think it ever goes really well when you get sacked and jump straight into the job. Now, Dean Smith is doing well with Norwich at the minute, but it didn't go well last season. So, you know, there is that. Um... Yeah, so all things considered, a good day for Chelsea, a good week for Chelsea. Uh, Three consecutive wins, very fortunate win last weekend, but a strong win over Milan in the week and a strong win here over Wolves. Chelsea are fourth in the league. Um, They are four points behind Tottenham and eight behind Arsenal, who are top, but they do have a game in hand. Now, it is at home to Liverpool, so it'll be a tough one. Um, but it's three straight wins, three straight wins in the league for Chelsea. And things starting to look a little bit more normal at the bridge, I would say. Uh, for Wolves, they're 18, it's three straight defeats. I think they made a mistake get, uh, getting rid of Lage, but Lopetegui's a very good manager, a, a better manager. Than Laj, and I think once they get him, if they get him, um, they'll they'll move the way up the table. They're not going to get relegated. They're not going to get relegated. Um, right, okay. Might as well do then the last of the Saturday games. That is Brighton nil, Tottenham one. Um, The Zerbi came out after this game and says that he he got his tactics wrong because he was wasn't anticipating Spurs to go with a five man midfield. He thought they'd go three four three. Um, he got the team sheet an hour before the game. He probably should have adjusted before, but you know at least he's coming out and admitting he got it wrong. Uh, Harry Kane with the only goal of the game on twenty two minutes, a flick header from a young man's son cross. Spurs had almost scored before that, a really good effort from Bentoncourt, a good save from Robert Sanchez. Brighton had a couple of half chances. It was a good header from Lewis Dunkley, probably should have done better with. Um, I think Spurs had the more dangerous opportunities, even though Brighton had more shots in the game. Brighton did play some really good football, um, as they always do. And look, they're always tough to beat at home. The last team to beat them at home was Spurs, funnily enough, back in in May. No, in March. So first home defeat since then. And credit to Tottenham. They've bounced back after a disappointing week. Uh, They remain third in the league. They are four points behind Arsenal and three behind City. But like I said, four points ahead of Chelsea. Brighton drop a little bit to seventh. But seventh is still a really good start for them. They do have a game in hand as well. And if they win that game in hand, they would go back into the top four. Although, again, if Chelsea won their game in hand, Brighton would then be fifth and Chelsea would be fourth. So it's a really good start from Brighton. And I expect that we'll see them 
um, start to pick up good results again because they've just faced two of the better teams in the league. Next up, they get Brentford and Forest. They'll expect to win both of those. And then it's City and Chelsea, which is really, really tough. Um, They've actually got a tough enough run. Actually, no, to be fair, it's Brentford, it's Forest, it's City, Chelsea, then Wolves away, which, depending on the new manager, could be tough, could be easier. Uh, Arsenal away, that's a cup game, uh, EFL Cup. And then their last game before the World Cup is actually Aston Villa at home, which they should win. Um, so I think Brighton can can rejoice that they will probably be in the top six or seven when the World Cup break begins. And that's massive for a club that, A, are one of the smaller clubs in the league, B, didn't spend a whole bunch of money in the summer, and C, had to change manager a couple of weeks into the season. So, you know, really impressively, really impressively run club. Right into Sunday we go. West Ham 3, Fulham 1. Fulham went 1-up on five minutes. Andreas Pereira with a well-struck goal that, in truth, I'm not sure Fabianski should be getting beaten at his near post like that. Uh, Fulham did then hit the crossbar. And for the first 20 minutes, it looked like they were going to go and win this game. But I don't really know what Pereira was doing. It's a West Ham set piece. And Dawson is trying to make a run in the box. And Pereira starts grabbing out of him. The referee warns him. Then he warns him a second time. And then he still drags him down. And it's a penalty for West Ham. Jared Bone steps up. Really well dispatched penalty. It's 1-0. West Ham took over in the second half. Played some really nice football. Lucas Paqueta starting to really look like a magician in this team. And his lovely little lofted pass for uh, Schumacher. It appeared like it might have touched his hand uh, accidentally. It may not have. He then very nonchalantly lifted the ball over Bernd Leno and didn't celebrate. And my thought was he's handled the ball or he thinks he's offside. Now, he wasn't offside. He was being played on, I think, by Bobby Reed, who played right back, and um, which was a bizarre decision, by the way, with Kevin Mbappe sitting on the bench. Um it was a very strange goal, very strange aftermath. Then the goal got given and then he celebrated. And it was a lovely finish, to be fair. And he played, I thought, quite well, especially in the second half. And then West Ham wrapped it up in stoppage time. Uh, Mikel Antonio on a counter-attack, burst through, has his first effort blocked. Ball comes back to him, taps home. And it is 3-1. It's a West Ham win, a deserved win. That's back-to-back leads with league wins for them now. And they have appeared, they do appear to have found a bit of form. They climbed to 13th in the table. Fulham remain ninth. Still a decent start, but that is back-to-back defeats now for Fulham. And obviously, no Mitrovic at the weekend. Remains to be seen how long he's going to be out for. I don't think it's anything too serious. Uh, but they're going to have to be as cautious as possible because they can't risk bringing him back, getting him injured, potentially losing him for a run of games, potentially putting his World Cup in jeopardy. Because if they put his World Cup in, je- in jeopardy, I think you could see a big falling out there because that means everything to him to go to that World Cup. Um, he has been working outside, so the hope is that he'll be back for the next game. But we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, the other early kickoff on Sunday was Crystal Palace 2, Leeds 1. Uh, Palace went one, oh, sorry, Leeds went one up on 10 minutes. Uh, Aronson just danced his way through the Palace defence. Good shot, hits the post, comes back. And Pascal Striek following up really well, finished with, I thought, a bit of composure. Fair play. Uh, for a left back to find himself in that position and finish on a first-time finish. I thought he did very well. Um, Then I thought Palace started to really purr. And this is the most fun Palace team 
in years. Now, I think they're probably four players away, three players away from being a really, really good team. I think they need to upgrade the goalkeeper. I know they brought in Sam Johnston, but obviously he's not impressing too much as yet because he's not getting in the team. It's not like Gaeta has been particularly good this season. Uh, I really like the centre-backs. I really like Mitchell, who, who's the nominal left-back. Jeffrey Schlupp played at the weekend. They desperately need to find a right-back, and they need to upgrade on Ayu in the most urgent manner. Um, <clears throat> now, it could be that they move Elise into the front three and buy into the midfield. That's probably the smarter move. Get another combative, ball-winning midfielder so that you have him and Dekure with Eze, and if you want, you can flex it to a 4-4-2 or a box midfield with Eze and Elise as sort of a, a twin attacking midfield threat. Uh, I like Edouard and obviously Wilf Saha uh, having a good season, but Eze and Dekure, Eze, Dekure and Elise are just sensational players, and with the greatest respect, none of them will be a palace for very long. Uh, Michael Elise's free kick for Odson Edouard's headed equaliser was absolutely outstanding the bend and dip he gets on that ball it's perfection it is literally picture perfect it is what you should show young left-footed players how to deliver a set piece sensational stuff palace i thought were the better team from there bamford did have one good chance for Leeds, but i thought palace had the better of the play and created the better opportunities Ayu should have made it 2-1 as they put it on a plate from he took so long to get a shot away that Christensen was able to come across and get a block in. Credit to the defender. He did really well. But on 76 minutes, it's a nice move down the left by Palace. Mitchell into Zaha. Nice little flick. Finds Eze. Beats Christensen. Leaves him on the floor. Opens the space up and finishes really well. Past Melier. A really well-deserved three points for Crystal Palace, only their second win of the season. Uh, moves them up to 15th in the league and hopefully kickstarts the st- type of results that their performances have warranted this season. Uh, they've played really well. They should have beaten Chelsea last week or at least gotten a draw. They were robbed in that game. Um, I thought they should have beaten Brentford. I thought they probably should have beaten Newcastle. And in truth, they probably should have beaten Liverpool as well. Uh, so Palace have been better than that 15th place suggests. Leeds are 14th. Uh, no wins now in five. Three defeats in those five games. It's a little bit of a concern. But Jesse Marsh has them playing good football. They're getting players back from injury, which is a big thing for them. Uh, starting to put more and more of their best 11 on the pitch. I like that midfield pairing. I like Aronson. I like Harrison. They'll get Sinistera back next week. Bamford's back and looks fit. I like the fullback mix of um, Christensen and Struyck because they're tall and rangy and aggressive. I like Robin Cock as one of the centre-backs. I think he's a good player if he can stay fit. I think they've got to get Diego Loriente back in alongside Liam Cooper. Liam Cooper just isn't a Premier League caliber footballer. He just isn't. And he's never going to be. And I know he's the club captain, but Christ, if United can drop the captain, you can drop your captain as well. Um, speaking of captains that need to be dropped, Liverpool lost 3-2 to Arsenal at the Emirates. Um, I'm going to swear here because it's warranted. Arsenal were less shit than Liverpool, and that's why they won. It wasn't that they were good. They were just less shit. They also had the aid of an absolutely abysmal refereeing performance. Liverpool were denied a clear penalty in the first half and Arsenal got given a very iffy penalty in the second half. Arsenal were the better team. I'm not denying that, but it wasn't that they were good. They were just less shit. And um, again, they needed the referee to help them out big time. If that game had ended in a Liverpool win or a draw, both teams would have played the same way. It would have just been based on those refereeing decisions. So if he doesn't give the Arsenal penalty or he does give it and gives the Liverpool penalty, that's a draw because Salah is scoring from the from the spot. Or if he doesn't give the Arsenal one and does give the Liverpool one, which is probably what he should have done, Liverpool win that game. 
Arsenal haven't played any better or worse, but they'd be looked at properly based on the performance. Liverpool are awful right now. Awful. It's the worst Liverpool team in seven years. And Arsenal still needed the referee to give them the win. A lot of credit being given to them today. All of it misplaced. All of it is misplaced. They have a couple of very exciting young players. They've got an awfully long way to go before they're real contenders. They won't get anywhere close to City come the end of the season. And they've got no depth. So they have beaten Liverpool and Spurs. Credit to them. Two good results. But remember, both of those games were at home as well. They have to go to both places in the back half of the season. And they also have, you know, a couple of uh, quite big games coming up in the league before the World Cup break, uh, nominally Chelsea away. So let's just keep an eye and see when where things stand when we come back after the World Cup. Uh, but credit to Arsenal, Martinelli scored. Uh, Nunes equalised, Saka scored, Firmino equalised, Saka scored again, uh, Jordan Henderson, another abysmal performance. I've talked more about Liverpool and their abysmal performances on the Daily Red, so you can listen to that there. Uh, Everton won, Manchester United two. Alex Iwobi with a sensational goal after five minutes to put Everton one nil up. Uh, but then Everton just decided to capitulate. Um Idrissa Gane gay failure to control a very simple pass. Bruno Gamerish Nick or Bruno Fernandez nicks it off and plays it to Martial. Martial finds Anthony. And if anybody could tell me what Jordan Pickford is doing, I'd love to know. It's appalling goalkeeping. And then on 44 minutes, Cristiano Ronaldo, who's been brought on because Martial got hurt, uh, a ball gets lofted to him on a counterattack. And he is able to run probably 50 yards with absolutely nobody making a challenge. And he somehow beats Pickford at his near post with a left-footed shot. That's fairly well struck, but it's not like it's a thunderbolt. You wouldn't expect a half-decent keeper to save. Uh, Really poor from Pickford. But it's a good win for United. It's a big win for United after last weekend's uh, hammering at the hands of Manchester City. United are fifth in the league. 15 points from their eight games. Negative goal difference, which is always funny. And then Everton are 12th. 10 points, negative goal difference, negative football. Frankie de Torre just, he's not a very good manager. He really isn't a very good manager. Uh, that is yesterday's games then, or the weekend's games as a whole. We do have one game tonight in the Premier League. That is Aston Villa versus Nottingham Forest at the city ground. Uh, this is a big game for Forest. But Steve Cooper now has that new contract and a bit of security. And hopefully the players respond to the decision by the ownership to back the manager and the players get on board and he doesn't pick Steve Cook. Uh, Aston Villa, though, is huge for because I think Gerrard's under a lot of pressure. Um. Villa are 16th. They've won twice this season. They have not been impressive at any point. It would be very easy to see them getting dragged into the relegation mess. If Forrest beat them, Forrest are only one point behind them. Wolves are only two points behind. Southampton are only one point behind. If Forrest win tonight, Villa could be in a bit of trouble. Now, again, I don't think they'll go down because I think there's far too much talent there but I think Gerard will be gone fairly soon. I think there's three managers in real danger of losing the jobs right now. Brendan Rodgers, Steven Gerrard, and Ralph Hasenhutl. The Hasenhutl one is mostly based on what's been said in the media. Um, but then again, the media told us that Steve Cooper was going to get sacked and, and he's got a new jo- he's got a new contract. So we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. But I do think we're going to see uh, a rather unusual number of managerial changes this season. Because the World Cup break will give ownership and directors of football and directors and boards and whatever else a lot of time to think about where their club is going. And uh, I, I don't like Gerard's odds of being in charge of Villa when football comes back after Christmas. Um, Right then, that is that. 
We had sad news today as Enoch Mepa was forced to retire, obviously. We had funny news as Steve Bruce was dismissed as manager of West Bromwich Albion. Uh, this can be absolutely no surprise to anyone, including Mr. Bruce, who took over in February. Um, he just hasn't done a very good job. The football is appalling. Uh, results have been shocking. They are 22nd in the championship. Uh, bearing in mind, Huddersfield are 23rd. Same points. Huddersfield have a game in hand. Coventry are bottom. Four points behind, but three games in hand. This can be no surprise to anyone that West Brom have made this decision because they've been abysmal this year. Absolutely abysmal. And it's the biggest surprise is that they've actually waited this long to do it. That is the, the big surprise for me. Uh, so Richard Beale will be interim manager until they find somebody. But Drew with Middlesbrough, who are awful this season. Drew at Watford, who aren't great. Lost to Blackburn. Drew at Cardiff. Uh, one victory. That was against Hull, 5-2. Um, Drew at Huddersfield. Drew at Wigan. Drew at Burnley. Lost to Birmingham. Drew with Norwich. Which is a good result, to be fair. Uh, lost to Swansea. Lost to Preston. And drew with, uh, with Luton. Uh, one win. Haven't scored more than one goal in a win this season. The only two times they've scored more than one goal, they've lost both games 3-2. Uh, they went out of the League Cup. They beat Sheffield United. No surprise, it was a one nil. I should sorry, I'm wrong. They did score five against Hull, so I'll give them. I, I have I have taken away some credit. They did score five against Hull. Um, yeah, they did beat Sheffield United. Their set their, their, that was their first win of the season. Then they beat Hull, uh, and then they lost one nil to uh, to Derby. So uninspiring football, inability to score goals, inability to keep clean sheets is the biggest surprise. Only two clean sheets in the league, three in all competitions. Um, four defeats, endless draws, endless eight of them, eight of them already this season. Uh, yeah, Bruce had to go, he had to go because they went out and were quite ambitious in the summer. I mean, they brought in Jason Malumbi, who's a good player from Brighton, they brought in John Swift, one of the best players in the championship, they brought in Jed Wallace, one of the best players in the championship. Now, both of those were quote-unquote free transfers, but they'll both be on big money because both of them would have had Premier League offers without question. Uh, they brought in Yakuzlu on a free. He'd obviously been there before on loan. He's another good player. They brought in Tom Rogic. He's another good player. Martin Kelly, another good player. Injury prone, but a good player. All of these will be on significant wages, as will Eric Peters, who was at Burnley last season. And then they brought in Brandon Thomas Asante from Salford, who won't have been cheap because Neville will ma have made sure he got his, his money from it. And he's had a good season last year and it started this season really well. So no way he was cheap. So they've been ambitious this summer. They've gone out and spent money both on the fees from Malumbi and Thomas Asante and the, the wages they'll have given to the likes of Swift, Wallace, Yakuzlu, Kelly, Rogic and Peters, they'll all be on decent money for, for a championship level. And it's not like they lost anybody. I mean, who would you, Callum Morton? You're not gonna you're not gonna miss him, you're not gonna miss Andy Carroll, you're not missing Delaney Delaney, they released him. Uh Saul Shutton, no. Uh, Callum Robinson, I mean, maybe they'll miss him. Maybe. But I mean, he's a frustrating player, he's very inconsistent. Did get eight goals in 44 games last season. So, you know, but they got 1.75 million. A little bit, little bit surprised they let him go, but they let him go. They loaned out a bunch of players. Not sure why Alex Moat was, was loaned out. I think that's a bizarre decision to loan him out. He's a good player. Um, So I went through their squad the other day, actually, because I was so surprised how badly they were doing. And like, 
there's a good team close to being there. Like start at the front. I know he's I know he's injured for the moment, but Daryl Dyke and um Carlin Grant is a good front two. Then you get Dean Gana on one wing, who's a really good player, and Jed Wallace on the other wing. That's a sensationally good front four. Now you could for the moment while Dyke is out, you go Diangana, Grant, and Wallace as a front three. In midfield, then, you've got John Swift, Yakuzlu, and Malumbi. That's a really good midfield three for the championship. A really good midfield three. At the back, I wouldn't be a big Connor Townsend fan, I have to say, but he's a solid enough left back. Darrell O'Shea is a good centre back. Darnell Furlong is is a decent defender. Uh, I think Taylor Gardner Gardner Hickman is a decent defender as well. You're probably a centre back away. Now I know they've got Kyle Bartley, but I wouldn't be a fan. Um, you're probably a centre back away. The bigger issue is the goalkeeper. I mean, David Button just isn't good enough. He's just not good enough at all. Um, but you bring in a decent centre back in January and a decent goalkeeper. And I think you're going to be in fairly good shape. Losing the goalkeeper was the biggest blow for them in the summer. They didn't replace him. Bizarrely, Bruce made the decision not to replace him. There's no way you couldn't have got a decent loan in. There wasn't a Premier League club looking to loan a goalkeeper out. I mean, didn't Burrow get a good goalkeeper in Zach Steffen on loan? I don't, don't care how he's done at Burrow. He's a good goalkeeper and he would have been better than what you've got. Uh, so yeah, sacking Bruce... Absolutely the right decision. Uh, fair play for making that decision. Now, it is funny that both both West Country clubs currently without a manager. Uh, looks like Lopetegui um, is the favourite for the Wolves job, and we'll wait and see who rocks up at West Brom. Obviously, in the championship as well, we've got Borough looking to make an appointment. And Guy tells me Michael Carrick is now the favourite for the Middlesbrough job. So interesting to see what happens there. Um, Carlos Corber on second. And the fellow whose name I can't remember, who was Watford manager, him as the third favourite. Um, Rob Edwards. Rob Edwards is the one exactly, yeah. Rob Edwards as third favourite. But Michael Carrick could be interesting. It's a difficult job to take over at the minute because you've made such a bad start. But there's definitely talent at Borough. It's not like he's walking into a bad squad. It's a squad that's capable of a top-half finish. Um, Right, what else do we have before we jump into the gossip? Or is that it? Uh, Atletico Madrid have re-signed Antoine Griezmann on a permanent deal on a contract that runs to 2026. I am going to predict now that the last two years of that contract will be painful for Atleti. Uh, the BBC tell us that steely Arsenal make most powerful statements so far. The BBC clearly had not watched Liverpool play at all this season. The FA are reviewing a confrontation between players during the Liverpool-Arsenal game. It was a con- confrontation between... Jordan Henderson and Gabriel, uh, that Gabriel got very irate over, and then Granit Xhaka got very irate over. Um, the referee spoke to both sets of, of managers immediately. Jurgen Klopp said he's not allowed to talk about it, so Christ knows, but apparently the FA are now investigating the confrontation. So we'll see what comes of it. It doesn't sound great. Um, doesn't sound great. My theory on it is that Henderson told Gabrielle, you're shit. And Gabrielle was so irate that this awful footballer had dared say something like that to him, that that's why it's all kicked off. That is my guess on what happened. Um, and I hope it's nothing more sinister than that. I can't imagine it would be. As bad a footballer as he is, Jordan Henderson's a good human being. And uh, I just can't imagine he'd have said anything too untoward. Uh, We'll do the gossip. 
Real Madrid are set to tempt Jude Bellingham to sign for them by suggesting the chance may never come around again. Nonsense. Liverpool are monitoring a host of Galatasaray players, including French defender Sasha Bowie, Denmark central defender Victor Nielsen, and Turkish wingers Kareem Artakoglu and Yunus Akun. Um... I, I do quite like Sasha Bowie. I think he's a, he's a good right back. He was um he was impressive enough at Dion a couple of years ago. I, I don't believe Liverpool are looking for the right back because you know they've got Trent, they've got Calvin Ramsey, and they've got Joe Gomez. And unless Trent is moving into midfield, I don't see them buying another right back. And if he does move into midfield, I don't think they'll look at someone like him, like Bowie. I think they'd look at somebody. Uh, of a higher level, uh, with respect. Paris Saint-Germain are considering moving for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. No. Manchester United are confident Cristiano Ronaldo will stay at the club in January because nobody else wants him. Newcastle have held talks with Vasco da Gama over the potential signing of 18-year-old Brazilian midfielder Andre Santos, who is expected to cost £30 Very, very talented player. Um, Brendan Rodgers accepts that James Madison's good form will lead to offers for the 25-year-old in January. You won't need to worry, Brendan. You won't be there. Chelsea are set to appoint Christopher Vivelle as technical director after he was sacked by Harvey Leipzig. Um, uh, okay. Southampton manager Ralph, Ralph Hasenhutl's position is uncertain and the South Club Coast <clears throat> are looking at RB Leipzig's Domenico Tedesco and Manchester City's Enzo Morasca. Morasca is the assistant manager at City. Uh, Tedesco tends to do well in the first season he's at a club and then be a disaster in the second season. Uh, Ex Liverpool and Newcastle boss Rafael Benitez and newly appointed Bayer Leverkusen manager Xabi Alonso were among the names considered to replace Steve Cooper before the club decided to offer him a new contract. Tottenham will pay £30.7 million to sign Dejan Kulusevski in a permanent deal. I think that's a bargain. Uh, Barcelona Vice President Eduard Romeo is confident the club can find a way to bring Lionel Messi back if they wanted to. If Imagine thinking they wouldn't want to. If he wants to. Uh, X. England captain David Beckham's son, Romeo, who is under contract at Inter-Miami, purely because his daddy owns the club, is training with Brentford's B team following the end of the Major League next pro season. Um, From what I've seen and heard, he's not going to make it as a top-level player. And the only reason he's got a contract with Inter is because his Inter-Miami is because his dad owns the club. Um, This is interesting. Leicester are finalising a deal to sign Poland goalkeeper Bartomaj Dragowski from Italian side Spezia in January. He's a very good goalkeeper. And about two years ago, he looked like he was one of the best young goalkeepers in the world. Uh, But he did have a a dip. And then Fiorentina made a strange decision to move him on. So he'd be an upgrade for Leicester, for sure. Uh, Atletico Madrid have signed uh, have signed a 17.5 million deal for Antoine Griezmann. Um, France defender Hossim Awar, whose contract with Lyon runs out in the summer, is expected to leave the French club with Roma, Atletico Madrid, Real Betis and Sevilla all interested. Real Betis would be an interesting fit. Crystal Palace forward Junior Dixon has been scouted by Everton and Borussia Dortmund, while Belgian club Genk are also interested in 17-year-old. If he has any modicum of sense and if he has good people around him giving him good advice, he will stay exactly where he is. Because that is a club where young players are going to get opportunities. Look at the current first team. Uh, Portugal forward Cristiano Ronaldo has been offered an escape route out of Manchester United in the shape of a move to Inter-Miami. I don't think Cristiano's going to be going to America, something tells me. 
Liverpool have a strong interest in Declan Rice. More chance of buying a bag of Basmati than buying Declan Rice. Casper uh, Schmeichel could be on the move again in January, only six months after joining Nice. Apparently, Nice are absolutely sick of him. Uh, his attitude, his tardiness, his performances. Yeah, not great for Casper. He, he'd absolutely been on the slide at Leicester anyway. Uh, Barcelona's search for a right back has led them to Diogo Delo. I doubt it has. Leeds have agreed personal terms with Cody Gakpo and are now working on a fee with PSV Eindhoven. He'd be a great signing for Leeds. He'd be an unbelievable signing for Leeds. Um, Tottenham are offering Antonio Conte a new deal worth more than twenty million a year and want to have something formalized with the Italian before the transfer window opens. Liverpool were in the race to sign Yves Basuma before he joined Tottenham. Who's writing this? Let me see. Tim Spears. Tim's work is very good. And I'm not saying it's not true. But if it is true, and Liverpool just allowed him to slip through, now it just says Liverpool were looking at him. Doesn't say they were in the race for him, so that's it's it's, it's bad by the BBC to try and make a headline there. Um, Paris Saint Germain are working on a return to the club for Adrian Rabio. Why would you want to bring him back and have to deal with his mother again? You've just gotten rid of Icardi and his wife. You really don't need to do this. Arsenal have suffered a major blow in their pursuit of Manuel Locatelli after he decided to stay in Turin. I'm sorry. Did anyone actually think he was going to Arsenal? Seriously? Surely nobody was that daft. He was never going to leave. Tommy Abraham says, you never know your future when asked about Chelsea's reported buyback clause. Um, I'm not sure Ajuro Babatunde is, is a real... Um, is a real uh, source of news. Like, if I'm being honest, I, I don't know that a journalist with 11,000 followers on Twitter is somebody that you should be following. It, it's it's just a clip. He said it on in an interview. So, you know. I think you should be probably crediting Goal or whoever he was uh, he was working for. Uh, who are we moving on to? Oh, Sundays. Uh, no, Mondays, sorry. Mondays gossip. Right, there's loads of this. Chelsea are looking at Jeremy Pino as a contingency plan with Mason Mount heading into the final 20 months of his contract. Jeremy Pino is a winger. He's nothing like Mason Mount. Lorenzo Pellegrini is another option. He's quite like Mason Mount, but he is four years older. Um, if Mason Mount is looking to leave, I can think of a club on Merseyside that would very much like to have him. Inter Milan, Inter Milan are set to launch another bid to try and tempt Nathan Aki from Manchester City. No, they're not. Unless they're selling Bastoni, no, they're not. Arsenal have shown interest in signing Club Bruges Spanish forward Ferran Yutkla. He's having a good Champions League campaign so far. Chelsea are set to discuss Dennis Zakaria's situation with the 25-year-old failing to feature under Graham Potter. Uh, this sounds a, a little bit like nonsense, to be honest. Barcelona are considering a move for Ruben Neves as their hopes of signing Martin Zubimendi appear to be over after the Spaniard agreed a new deal with Real Sociedad. I would still guess he would be cheaper than Neves. Antoine Griezmann has completed his permanent move, yada, yada. Um, Liverpool could look to sign Jeremy Doku in January. I doubt it. He's consistently injured and hasn't been very good in a while. Manchester United could see their hopes of signing Herving Lozano from Napoli ended by Liverpool's pursuit of Doku. Napoli would be keen for Doku should Lozano leave. This is garbage. Wolves may have to wait a little bit longer to make Julian Lopetegui their manager as the Spaniard attends to a family matter in his homeland. 
AC Milan are considering signing Hakim Ziyech. They've been considering signing him for about a year now. Several European clubs are monitoring Giovanni Reina. Uh, if he could stay fit, he'd be sensational. This is great. Arsenal scouts were left impressed by Federico Valverde. Fair play. Fair play. You, you saw one of the best midfielders in the world and were impressed. That's, that's good scouting. Uh, Jurgen Klopp says it does not look good for Trent Alexander-Arnold and Luis Diaz. Gareth Southgate he says he wants to see out his England contract until it expires in 2024. Magnificent. Magnificent. Right, that's me for today, folks. I'll see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Don't do anything silly. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.